Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Auto Care and Repair. My name is Greg McCoy and you're joining us on The Car Guy, PeoriaLife.com. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing very well. How about yourself, Greg? Excellent. Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, it's getting into that season where uh, the garden is really coming for I'm a big gardener. Mm-hmm. And, we know uh, that. Gardener's really coming into its own now so you've had a good summer for that yeah it's been a great summer fantastic just saw on the paper today where this is one of the wettest august and july june july and august periods on on record that's marvelous to hear not the most but one of the most one of the most yeah all right well our topic today is intro to maintenance a fluid situation a fluid situation you're so creative greg uh, what can I say? What can you say? Fluids and air conditioning. So what can you tell us about that? So we're going to talk a little bit about cars and what you should be doing to your car and some of the things you don't necessarily have to do it. But we'll kind of break down um, a lot of fluids that go into the car and what they're dealing with and why some of these fluids need to be changed. Does that uh, include rain that comes in through the uh, sunroof that gets left open? No, we, we see that more than you think. Believe it or not, not the, necessarily the not that kind of sunroof that is open, but they they have what they call drain weep holes, and they get um, restricted with debris and things like that. They get in there, and then guess where the water ends up? Mm. Even with the sunroof closed, really inside your car. Mm. So yeah, it comes through the liner, and it's really not good. But um, basically, a um, air shot into the the holes, and they're they're all fixed. So pretty simple fix. But next time I'm in, you'll have to show me where that yeah, is. You wreak a little havoc though when they do. Uh, clog up as they say mm-hmm. so we'll talk about engine oil first probably one of the most um, um talked about i think on our shows uh the engine oil and how often you change oil and things of that nature uh, but we'll talk about a little bit about the science behind it and and um you know for one you know everybody gets a little freaked out about dirty oil but what that means is their oil is doing its job and taking the particulates out and putting them into the oil, and then that therefore that's when you change oils when it becomes dirty. Um, but the, the dirt is actually suspended in the oil, so that's a good thing when you see, see the oil turn from clean to darker, and then into the dirty nature that it's actually doing its job. Um, the oil and dirt is actually drained and replaced by clean oil, of course, as everybody knows when they change your oil. Um, and the reason why is oil actually, oil actually contacts air and air has particulates in it and that's one of the con- contributions that make oil dirty hmm. so um you don't have my point behind this is everybody thinks you got to have clean oil in your crankcase all the time so there that's when people get into the overzealous oil changes of two and three thousand miles which is absolutely not and greg you and i've talked about this many times it's it's not necessary in cars i pound that into the ground that um, if you still have a shop that is changing your oil every 3,000 miles, you need to nicely ask them the question of why can't I go four and five and 6,000 miles? 
Um, they should be be able to articulate it from a scientific manner, but they're they're going to have their own anecdotal reasons as to why you should be changing oil every three thousand miles. So, um, I mean, it's ultimately your decision if you want to stay there and you know waste the money. You're really wasting money, is what you're doing by changing oil that aggressively. It's not harmful to the car. It's just correct a waste of money. You know, in the big picture, we talk about this philosophy. In the big picture, we're all you know, claim to be a bunch of tree huggers and we love the earth and all that good stuff. But think about it. If you have millions of cars on the road and we all decide to change your oil every 3,000 miles, that that consumes an enormous amount of, you know, the, the energy that's out there. Ruff, and Roughly double what would, roughly yes, double. Roughly double, mm-hmm. roughly double. So uh, from an ec- uh, uh, ecological impact, I think it's rather selfish to be changing oil every 3,000 miles. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know me, I'm not a tree hugger, but I love the outdoors. And if there's no reason to do it, don't do it. And there's two reasons this has changed. Engine technology and oil technology has improved such a manner that you don't have to do it that aggressively. We pretty much have educated our customer base so much, so well that, and I don't say that as like patting myself on the back, but um, we have a lot of periodicals. You know, in my book, I talk about this. I talk about it on our, on our website. We talk about it on the front line of all of our guys know that, you know, 3,000 miles is, is not necessary. So most, if not all of our customers are very well informed that 3,000 mile oil changes have gone away. We still have people that straggle in the door and say, what? You don't have to change oil every 3,000 miles, but well, I still those run, numbers. I still run into you, people. Yeah. yeah. And those numbers are decreasing. People are getting wiser and more intelligent about their cars. You know, and these oil life monitors that come out, we've talked about that before. Um, they're legitimate. Basically, they're measuring start cycles, run cycles of the engine, and they essentially direct you as to when you change the oil in your vehicle, period. And, you know, a lot of these guys that are driving 20, 30 miles into work from out of Peoria uh, will we'll stretch it as far as six, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 miles with conventional oil, not synthetic, conventional, uh, just because that those are the easiest miles in your car, very, very easy on your car and that you know cars like that last for a longer time just because um they're not the stop and go type type uh instances so well let's talk about you mentioned synthetic let's talk for a minute about regular oil mm-hmm. versus synthetic oil first mm-hmm. of all what is what is synthetic oil? does that mean it's not oil uh, it, it is the base of its oil yes um but they add synthetic um uh components into the oil to to allow it for folks to stretch their oil changes out even further. I uh, know at our facility, our conventional mobile oil customers can go minimum 5,000 miles. Uh, with the mobile synthetic, they have a certain type that's the most popular that you can go 10,000 miles. Uh, they ha- actually have a mobile extended that people, believe it or not, can go 15,000 miles in between changes. Wow. Uh, we don't sell a large amount of that. It's, it's fairly expensive. Um, kind of the car connoisseurs are the guys that want that. Um, but for the most part, the most popular synthetic oil that we sell is Mobile One synthetic. Uh, but with the, you know, the base oil and everything that goes into it, um, it extends your oil change into a while. You know, anecdotal deal. My dad had a car, a Chevy, that he bought it at 40,000 miles. Back then, Mobile Oil was 12,000 mile intervals. So he would change his oil on the basically on the dot every twelve thousand miles, and he sold that car at about two hundred and sixty thousand miles, and still runs great. The customer, the guy who bought the car is now a customer of ours. It's got over three hundred thousand miles on it, and he continues to drive it 
and engines never had a lick of issues when it comes to oil consumption or anything like that. So purely anecdotal, uh, but I have a large number of customers that use mobile one oil. But I always encourage folks, you know, it's it's totally fine switching gears. You know, I get this question a lot from customers. Does my engine know any better if I if I go from conventional to synthetic or and synthetic back to conventional? And I every hands down every time. No, it doesn't know any better. You can switch. It has no clue. So what's the rationale? Now it you go from uh, standard to synthetic. You go from mm-hmm. ballpark five thousand miles to ten thousand miles. Mm-hmm. But synthetic is at least double the cost, right? Correct. So are you gaining anything? What's the point? Yeah. So here's here's what I always encourage customers. Here's what you gain. You know, you got the guy that goes twenty thousand miles a year. Um, he comes in instead of seeing us four times, he sees us twice a year. Um, the other aspect of it is I'm a big believer in not not the out-the-door price. You know, we talk about our prices, and we're not the least expensive in town, but at the same time, we're not selling ice to an Eskimo and adding on all these other fluff, wallet flush items that uh, other places may do. Um, so that decreases your cost per mile. And we look at and hone in on Mobile One Oil, the cost per miles is typically about the same as conventional oil. Now, here's where I say it's not advantageous. Say you've got a car that uses a quart of oil every 1,000 miles. So what happens is you burn that Mobile One synthetic oil. Every 1,000 miles, you're putting a, a one quart in for $8.95. doesn't make a whole lot of economic sense if you have a large oil burner. So that's where I always, I'm very upfront with people. You know, we measure oil before we change the oil in vehicles so we can tell if a car is using oil at a pretty aggressive rate or not. Um, but if they got, they've got a vehicle that uses oil, we always say, Hey, look, you're going to be adding four or five quarts in between your 10,000 mile oil changes. It's probably not the best idea to be adding eight ninety five a quart oil as opposed to $3 a quart oil. So, um, but for the most part, that's not an issue on people that use a mobile one oil that doesn't mobile one does not prevent oil loss either in an engine. That's what the misnomer out there is. Sometimes you see people get, uh, synthetic oil, and they say, "Oh, that means I go ten thousand miles, and it's not going to use any oil because it's synthetic." And I so said, in terms no. of engine wear and tear and all that kind of stuff, it's just the same. It's it, yes, as regular oil. Yes and no. It is a higher quality oil. There's no doubt about it. Um, but you really have to you really have to analyze how you drive your vehicle. You know, if you're a, a, a an older person that doesn't drive more than four or five thousand miles a year or two thousand miles a year, it's not worth it. Because they want that oil changed every 10,000 miles or 12 months, whichever comes first. So if you're spending $79 on a mobile one synthetic oil change and you drive 2,000 miles a year and you change it once a year, it's not it's not ideal. So it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. So try to encourage that. I know, you know a lot of the sectors of the world would like it to be for everyone, but it's not. You have to kind of you have to kind of accommodate each person and know their driving habits. So that's that's a true way to do it if you're a reputable shop. Mm-hmm. So next, you'd like to talk about transmission fluid. Isn't this exciting? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so transmission fluid. No air contacts this fluid. So that's why you see these ex- extended intervals with transmission fluids, you know, not five or 10,000 miles, but most cars anymore are 100,000 miles. You change the fluid and people kind of step back and go, oh my goodness, 100,000 miles. But it doesn't contact in the air. There is metal-to-metal contact with this, um, but... On the flip side of it, some of these, very few of them, some of these manufacturers actually don't necessarily require a transmission fluid change. Our philosophy, the only place we differ from manufacturers on this is after 100,000 miles, 
you own the car, you own the transmission. It's a $3,000 piece of equipment. The philosophy behind our push is, look, you own it. If you don't change the fluid, we all know it's not going to last forever. If you don't change the fluid, you're reducing the probability of this transmission is going to last a long time. So I would much rather flush or exchange my fluid for $179 every 100,000 miles and take the chance that I'm going to get more life out of it as opposed to, hey, they told me not to flush the transmission fluid. And then at 157,000 miles, you got to replace a $3,000 transmission. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's not worth the 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 risk versus reward payoff. Now, are, uh, there, are, th- are there different grades or levels of transmission fluid? Yeah. So for the most part, um, we supply a synthetic fluid. It matches most manufacturers' needs. Uh, there are a few exceptions out there. There's what they call a Dexron 6, um, pretty heavily used in the GM world. Um, it's it's a uh, little bit more expensive, um, but the catch is that's all they want in their transmissions, and we do not deviate from that. Um, a lot of times, the non-synthetic transmission fluid many years ago would work on a lot of vehicles, but we've gotten to a point where most vehicles take a synthetic type of fluid. Chrysler calls it a Mopar 4 plus 4 fluid. Um, Ford called it a Mercon 5. Now our mobile synthetic matches all their needs. So uh, does it make a difference? Yes, absolutely makes a difference. Um, You don't want to put in non-synthetic into a synthetic required transmission because the engineers that put those transmissions together are a lot smarter than you and I. And I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way, but they know what they're doing um, when it comes to this. And the, there's a reason for synthetic and just abide by it. So you don't do something um, negative towards your transmission. So, mm-hmm. okay. Some of the things that can affect the the life of transmissions and many people know this towing or severe climate um, can extend the, can attend, can adapt or adjust the life of that fluid inside the transmission. What about getting stuck in the mud and rocking your, <laughs> Um, you know, one or, once or twice is not a big deal, but if you're constantly out there mudding, you know, you're one of these off-road guys and you're going to have to train, change your transmission fluid. Um, I, I got stuck over the weekend. That's oh, why okay. I, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to change your transmission fluid a little more frequently. So, um, so that's kind of enough on transmission fluid. I don't want to bore everybody too much. Uh, differential fluid. Differential is basically um, a component in the rear of the car on either all-wheel drive vehicles rear-wheel drive vehicles or four-wheel drive vehicles. It converts from the drive shaft down. It converts energy out to the wheels, the rear wheels of the vehicle. Got a bunch of gears in it. Got a bunch of gears in it. Um, you know, what's interesting, though, is a lot of manufacturers don't necessarily require you to change that fluid. I know GM does not. I know Chrysler does not. Mm. Uh, Ford is way out there. They're 150,000 miles. They want you to change the fluid, but used to be you were changing every 10 or 15,000 miles, but they have improved these fluids and rear ends so much, all the gears um, that go into these systems that they don't, you know, they don't um, shave off little metallic pieces like they used to. It just doesn't happen anymore. Hmm. Uh, Very efficient systems. They've had to become efficient. Um, They're a little bit more expensive, but it's well worth it. You know, we don't, I can't remember the last time we replaced a rear end in a car. used to be way back in the old days, you were replacing them often, but not so anymore. And it's due to the improvement in these systems and the fluid that goes into it. So, uh, power steering fluid. Uh, I know there are some places out there that attempt to sell power steering fluid exchanges or flushes, they call them. Um, and we've talked about this before. I, I write about this kind of stuff in my book, but it's truly a wallet flush in most vehicles. 
you know, for example, in our um, procedures, we review all factory maintenance on vehicles. I can promise you one out of 100, 150 cars that we review out, out there that we do, one out of 150 maybe requires a power steering flush. Most everything else does not require that. So just be careful. And I always, I always try to open people's eyes up when it comes to this kind of um, information is if your, your quick oil change place is selling you on a transmission or a power steering fluid exchange or a flush, open your owner's manual and ask them, hey, where does this say it in the owner's manual that I need to do this? Can you help me out here? I mean, act innocent. Um, you don't want to act, you know, defensive or derogatory or like you're attacking them, but just ask them, you know, where's it come from? And typically they have their own procedures and their own things that they do and they've, they've got to make profit. And so I'm not pointing fingers, but just ask them where it shows it in the owner's manual. That's really what a lot of this stuff boils down to. So another one, you got a question. Yeah. Over the weekend, I talked, I heard a story about yeah, a couple that had a car that burned some oil. So the guy had to, on a fairly regular basis, add some oil. Mm-hmm. And he was gone someplace, and he realized, oh, he'd forgotten to do that. So he called back home, talked to his wife. Hey, add some oil to the car. Mm. So she went out and did it. And called him back and said, it didn't take very much. So, you know, well, that's, that's strange, because it usually takes about a quart. Mm-hmm. And so he got back, and, and the, she'd driven the car around for a little bit, and they got to looking at it and realized, whoops, she had put it in the power steering. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that happening before? Yes. <laughs> I have to get it out. It'll ruin components and seals so, inside the system. What do you do with that? I mean, the, the, That's when a power steering flush has to take place. Has to. So otherwise she starts damaging, not she, but people. I'm accusing her. Start damaging power steering racks. Damage can occur. Damage can occur not that because... You're causing it, but- a six, seven, eight hundred dollar power steering rack can fail. The pump can fail, which is a couple hundred bucks. Is it like right now? You got to get it out quickly. So hopefully he did. <laughs> My two cents. Okay. All right. Next, we'll talk about brake fluid. Another one of those oversold items. Uh, most domestic vehicles, GMs, Fords, Chryslers, do not require brake fluid exchange, is what we call it. Um, a lot of Hondas require it, some Nissans. There are a handful of GM cars because they are not GM chassis. They're European chassis on some of these GM cars. A handful of them require brake fluid exchanges. Um, the only thing I say to folks is consult your owner's manual. See if it actually requires it. Now, on an older car, can't the brake lines kind of rust out? Absolutely. They, uh, get they, a rust hole or from, something? they rust from the exterior, though. And that's where, huh. that's where a lot of these shops are trying to sell these brake fluid exchanges is they say, hey, there's moisture content inside, and that's why your brake lines rust. rust. Your brake lines don't rust because of the interior. They rust because of the exterior and the, the conditions that we deal with in, in the Midwest, period. That's why they rust. It's humidity. It's moisture. It's salt. It's corrosion. It's, it's from the exterior, not the interior. Hmm. So we have... You have to come across an interior um, rusted brake line because of that. They all start on the exterior. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know. Very good to know. So, mm-hmm. um, but just be very careful when it comes to brake fluid. If you got a place that every time you go in and get an oil change is trying to sell you a brake fluid exchange, consult your owner's manual, ask them where it's at in the owner's manual. And if it's not in there, move on. Don't, I mean, it's not overly expensive, usually 99 bucks to $119 to do it. But all these little things start adding up, and if it's not necessary, don't do it. 
power steering flushes to go back on that um, are about 89 to $99 typically in the industry is what you see. So not a huge amount of money, but it's a money maker for them when it, when it does happen. So uh, coolant or some folks call it antifreeze, uh, proper protections, 35 or more, 35 below degrees below or more. So typically what we're looking for is the protection level of the temperature being between 35 and 45. And for those that may not understand that, what that means is the ambient temperature outside can get down to 34 below degrees without that fluid in there freezing and cracking the block of the engine. Not the wind chill. Not, not the wind chill. It has nothing to do with it. That has to do with our skin. Um, but the cars don't know wind chill effect. They, they're, they're not us. So if you're driving down the road, it's 25 below zero, and you're driving into a 50-mile-an-hour wind, which sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. Doesn't affect it. Has nothing. It will not affect the car. It'll affect your arm if you stick it outside the window. Um, it will not be 25 below. It'll be more like 75 or 100 below. I don't know what the calculations are, but it will not affect the car. Will not affect the car at all. So you no. don't. I remember in the old days, we used to have to put cardboard in front of the radiator, mm-hmm. cover up part of the radiator to keep mm-hmm. it from uh, freezing up. Mm-hmm. Is that not an issue anymore? Not an issue anymore because cars run so efficiently and thermostats. Do, if they're doing their job, they don't have to because thermostats, what they do is they, they close off flow to the radiator, which is what those cardboard pieces were doing. It doesn't matter anyway. Um, you've got the radiator closed off if the temperature of the engine's not up to par. So the, if thermostat's doing its job, there's no flow going to the radiator. All that antifreeze that we're trying to warm up so we get warm inside the car is staying within the engine compartment and the heater core. And once it heats up and it needs to come down to temperature, then the thermostat opens and it brings in that cool fluid from the, the radiator itself. So you don't you don't need to actually it's it's hard on vehicles if you've got a piece of cardboard up there because they don't they get confused and they go into overheat mode and mm-hmm. it's not a good thing. So another question. Yes. Do new car companies vary the amount of protection based on the region that the car is being sold into? No, they don't. They don't know any better. You think about it from a manufacturing standpoint. How difficult that would be to go. Okay, this is going to the north section. Let's make these forty-five below. Okay, this is going down to Florida. Let's make this ten below. It's too much thought. It's too much energy that goes into adjusting those levels. They put a fifty-fifty content in there, and away it goes. The reason I ask is my son, of course, bought a new car when they were on vacation in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. A van. So they drive back here, came in, took it into your place, and had the oil change and. You did all the checks, and you said, oops, the protection is only good down to 25 below. Mm-hmm. And we were speculating, is that because you bought it in South Carolina, and maybe they didn't have as much protection in Yeah, I'd, I, I've never seen that or read that in any of the periodicals um, that I've been around for a couple decades. Um, it's just not normal. They may have gotten it a little bit off from the manufacturer, um, but all the vehicles would be like that. All of them would be 25 below, so it's mm-hmm. a good question, though. You would think it makes sense to do it that way, but. That's not the case. It's just too much for a manufacturing facility to adjust like that. So in the case where you test, a car comes in, you test them, and they're good only to mm-hmm. 20 below, 25 below. Mm-hmm. Is that an issue? What, what should they not do? Not necessarily an issue around here. I mean, we don't see it generally go below, 5 below, 10 below, whatever the case may be. But we just simply explain to folks, hey, it's good to 25 below. Just want you to know if it were to happen to go to 40 below, then there's a chance that that antifreeze inside there goes from liquid to solid. And we know when it goes from liquid to solid, it expands. And suddenly yep. you've got a cracked block. Um, but 25 below, typically we're not going to see around here, but we just, our job is to tell folks and explain to folks, you know, the criteria is 35 below to 45 below. This is where it falls. If it's at 20 below, we just want you to know. But um, 
you know, if you get into the deep winter and it gets real cold like that, then you keep an eye on it. But you keep, know, keep it in the garage at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah, the, the garage would help if it's a semi-heated garage. That makes sense. Or even an attached garage. Or even a, yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, antifreeze keeps the engine cool year-round. Everybody knows that. Um, what happens is over time and mileage antifreeze loses anti-corrosion abilities, which is pretty important. That's one integral part of antifreeze that's uh, very important to the rest of the car. So that's why antifreeze, when it comes down to it, we, if the manufacturer says flush it at a hundred, no matter if it's at 35 below, we say flush it at a hundred, do it. Um, because you've got temperature protection over here. That's important. And you got the corrosion, anti-corrosion chemical inside there. That's important. So, um, what happens is if that starts breaking down, you can start clogging up restricting radiators, which are four to six hundred dollars, and then you can restrict heater cores, which are uh, usually four or five or six hundred dollars. So we like that kind of business, but it's preventable. It really is. A lot of it's preventable. I think so much of I think it's worthwhile to mention that so much of what you talk about is in the venue of prevention. Yes. Addressing a problem before you have a problem. Yes. And the reason a manufacturer might say, do this at 100,000 miles mm -hmm. is because for you, it's just one car. But for them, they've produced tens of thousands mm -hmm. of that model. And they keep track of failures mm -hmm. and, and over a period of time. And they, they know that this system, once it goes beyond 100,000 miles, right. the probability of a failure increases significantly. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the point where they feel it's safe, beyond which it's not safe to go right. on. I, I don't buy it. I've heard other shops and I, I, I have friends of mine that they have their own program for cars and I understand where they're coming from. You know, one of the philosophies is manufacturers have a vested interest to, for the car to fail and for the customer to come back and buy another car. Hmm. I just don't buy that planned obsolescence. It, it's, I, I just flat don't buy that. I don't think, I don't believe for a second they're in business to have cars fail at a hundred thousand miles. And then you and I go, Oh, that was a great car. Let's go get another one. I think people look at cars just like they do any industry and they go, wow, I got 250,000 miles out of that car. I might think about buying another one. That was a fantastic vehicle. Now, granted, cars go out of date. You know, they quit making certain cars. I understand all that. But for the most part, I don't think there's any kind of theory out there that stands on its own two feet that the manufacturers say, well, you know, we want that car to fail in a certain amount of miles. So we're going to make these, old, you know, spark plugs go 150,000 miles and we're going to change the transmission to fluid 150,000 miles. And hopefully that thing's going to die and they're going to come back and be a customer of ours. I just don't buy it. It's kind of like the philosophy of doc doctors want you to get sick. Yeah. I just, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, for the most part, people have hearts and they, they don't want that type of stuff to happen. And that's where I say, I, the reason I say that is I see a lot of shops out there that say the manufacturer says flush it at a hundred thousand miles. We go, 100,000 miles, flush it. And then this guy over here says, no, we don't really think that's a good idea. And I've talked to other shops point blank and said, why do you do this? We want them to flush it at 30,000 miles. So you take a transmission flush, that's a, let's just round numbers, 200 bucks, 30,000, 60,000, 90,000. That person spent over $600 on flushing his transmission fluid. Then if you follow the owner's manual, you're at $200 every 100,000 miles. It's a big difference. You start doing that kind of stuff more aggressively, it might make you feel better, but it's not necessary. Absolutely unnecessary. And I've talked to shops point blank and said, why are you doing this? Well, this is what we believe. And we've gone to seminars and they've taught us this stuff that this is the kind of stuff that breaks down. And I go, okay. 
you know, it's one of those deals you can only change, you know, try to change so much in your industry and you just educate people. That's what we do on a daily basis. Try to educate people. So again, I always say this, we're not the least expensive in town, but I'm not selling you three flushes in a hundred thousand miles. You know, so there's a big difference. So, mm-hmm. um, one more thing we talk about air conditioning. It is a gas. It's not a liquid. Um, it's a sealed system. If you have air conditioning that is not producing cool air, you have a low, what they call refrigerant system needs to be recharged. Typically what we do is we put a tracer die in the system. So if you do have a leak, we can see it because you can't see it. It's not an oil. It's not an antifreeze. And, uh, once we recharge, I put the, the leak detector in it, then down the road, if you come back and say in two weeks, Hey, it's producing warm air again, get it back in. We'll do a no charge inspection on that. Most reputable shops do the same thing. Um, put a tracer die in the system. So, um, but remember the compressors are not inexpensive. They're like a tiny little engine that mm-hmm. moves all that gas throughout the system and typical compressor failure is six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars on most vehicles. So don't use Freon anymore, right? No, Freon is too expensive. Uh, last time we checked, it was over $200 a pound as opposed to R134, which is what we use now. That's right around 1495 a pound to give you a little perspective. Wow. So they phase that one out. All right. Okay, well, looks like we've done it again. A mm-hmm. uh, half hour's gone by very quickly. I want to remind uh, any viewers and people that are listening or watching the show, if you have any questions about your car or car repair, uh, feel free to send those questions in either through the uh, PeoriaLife.com mm-hmm. or through uh, Beachler's Facebook page. Yes, that's correct. Or if you're in Peoria, you can stop by Beachler's in person and ask mm-hmm. them that. Welcome to do that. All right, so thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Brett, for being with us and sharing those thoughts. And this is Greg McCoy signing off for the car guy on PeoriaLife.com. PeoriaLife.com.